Well, this summer we have a sermon series titled Parables of Jesus. We're continuing on in that this morning. Today we're looking at the parables of the mustard seed and the leaven. They're found in Matthew 13, verses 31 through 33. If you have a pew Bible there, it's on page 819. Have you ever bought something only to end up with buyer's remorse? Maybe as a car or expensive clothes or something as simple as a giant piece of carrot cake? Then you get in it or put it on or swallow it only to conclude, what was I thinking? In our short passage today, Jesus tells us two parables about his kingdom, which are meant to prevent buyer's remorse as well as give us hope. Both depict the kingdom of heaven as starting really small, but in the end becoming all that God promises. Now, why would Jesus need to tell his disciples that the kingdom would start small and seem insignificant? Because human nature rejects the small and the seemingly insignificant. We mistakenly think that if God is up to something great, then surely it hits the world with a bang. But that is not how the kingdom begins, nor is it how it grows. Even to this day, God's work on earth can appear small and insignificant, can it not? Add to that Christ's call upon us to enter into his kingdom and to follow him is a call to die to our big and glorious plans for our own kingdom so that we can be alive in Christ, in his kingdom. This is, this is extremely hard, even with the help of the Holy Spirit, is it not? So we go tired, we go weary, we look for corners to cut, and we can experience buyer's remorse. Jesus' words to us in these two short parables we're about to read give us proper perspective on the kingdom of heaven so that we would have eyes to see how the kingdom does indeed grow so that we will not lose heart but rather have hope. Matthew 13, verses 31 through 33. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, if we want to know his way, we must know his word, right? Let's pray. Father, we do need your help this morning. It's only by your spirit that we can comprehend and delight in truths from heaven. Our hearts are fickle. They're prone to wander. We're prone to set our eyes on earthly things. May we in this moment be changed by your grace. May your spirit show us what these words mean to us. May we truly have hope in what you have given us, a glorious kingdom in which to live and to thrive. We ask for your help and your grace in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. You know, I love baseball, 
from when I was about six years old up through my freshman year in high school, I was on a baseball team. The problem was I always felt like the team I was on was like the, the runt of the litter. My older brother was on the best team of all, though. He was on the Baldwin Blazers. <laughs> what a name. Everyone knew of the Baldwin Blazers. They won the state championship every year. Not only did they have cool uniforms, they had multiple sets of cool uniforms. When my team wasn't playing, I'd get to be the bat boy for my older brother's team. Paul Ellis, the manager, he would actually give me one of the trophies that the team had won if the team won a tournament. I used to take my brother off to no end. I love the Ball and Blazers. Problem was, I didn't play for the Blazers. I played for the, get this, Baldwin Leafs. <laughs> Leafs of all things. I know, the grammar is like totally incorrect, right? What is the plural of leaf? Leaves, not leafs. But we were the Leafs, for crying out loud. What kind of delusional manager would come, would come up with such a horrible, uninspiring name? My manager, that's who. He drank beer. Lots of beer. During practice. And our uniforms were government issue. They were faded out, grass-stained, hand-me-downs from eight years ago. And all they said on the front was Baldwin. There was no Leafs on there, which in hindsight, I guess is okay. Oh, how I was envious of being on the Baldwin Blazer. I felt like I got the worst of all deals, the Baldwin Leafs. In our passage, Jesus is telling his disciples, he's saying, don't be surprised, don't be dismayed, don't be offended, and don't you dare quit the team, but um, you play for the Leafs. That is what these two parables teach us. You belong to a team of rejects. No, not rejected by God. No, dearly loved and accepted by God, but rejected and misunderstood by the world. And that is okay. More than that, this is God's design for his people and for his kingdom. Back then, Jesus' disciples needed to know this. And his disciples today, despite the growth of the kingdom, we need to know this too. See, unless we understand this upside-down nature of, of Christ's kingdom, we will be prone to believing that our team is of little consequence. We will be prone to give up and walk away. But God has, listen, big plans for this world. Big plans with small and humble beginnings. We need to know that Christ's kingdom will have small beginnings and it will even continue to appear insignificant throughout the ages. But then, when God's purposes are fully, fully formed, watch out. What was once small will be all-encompassing and life-giving. The, the tiny, seemingly irrelevant kingdom of God will one day fully manifest the glory that our souls long for. The question is, do we understand this? And can we not only live with it, but can we live for it? 
We will investigate Jesus' words here this morning. In doing so, we're going to divide our time into looking at three headings. We will look at the what, the why, and the how. First, the what. What is Jesus saying in these two parables? Well, both parables use imagery that would have been familiar to Jesus' audience, the planting of seeds and the baking of bread. First, the mustard seed, verse 31. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it's grown, it's larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Now, I doubt most of you have ever seen a mustard seed. Maybe some of you chefs have, but let alone planted one in your garden. But Jesus says the mustard seed is the smallest of all known seeds in Palestine. Not that you couldn't find a smaller one somewhere else. But when grown, the mustard seed becomes the largest of the garden plants. And in some instances, it gets pretty darn big to where you could even maybe say that kind of looks like a tree. You know, have in mind like a rhododendron bush, you know, with big and grown with a lot of branches and leaves. Now... Jesus doesn't walk us through all the growth stages, does he? He doesn't tell us how long it takes for this plant to get full size. No, he simply tells us how it begins, and then he tells us the end result. It becomes mature and healthy, beautiful and life-giving. So much so that birds come and make nests in its branches. The mustard plant provides safe places for God's creatures to live and to thrive. It is life-giving. That's a quick rundown of the what of the first parable. Now for the parable 11. What is leaven? Hardly anybody uses leaven these days. Leaven is kind of like yeast in that when you mix it in with flour and water, it causes the dough to rise. Leaven is actually a piece of last week's dough that you kept in reserve to mix in this week's dough. It's fermented dough. Have you ever had sourdough bread? Well, sourdough bread uses leaven. In this parable, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. It's interesting, Jesus uses the word hid instead of spread or mix, but but it's true. When you mix the leaven into the dough, you can't see it. It really is hid. But in its being hidden, it's in being hidden that, that the work of rising of the dough actually takes place. Jesus is saying that the kingdom of heaven is like leaven and that just a small bit of leaven gets worked into the whole dough and and causes it to rise. And what a large batch it is. Three measures of flour. That's roughly 50 pounds of flour. It's it's more than enough to feed at least 100 people. This woman isn't just making bread for tonight's family meal. She has some large gathering or celebration in mind. So together, these two parables make a statement about the kingdom of heaven that Christ came to inaugurate. It will start small. It will have humble beginnings. It will seem irrelevant when mixed into the world at large. But watch out. At some point, the kingdom becomes big and significant. That's the what of these parables. Now for the why. Why did Jesus say this about the kingdom? Because small and seemingly insignificant was not what the nation was expecting nor was it what they wanted. I think most young basketball players dream about someday being the number one pick in the NBA. Problem with the number one pick, the best player, 
usually ends up where? On the worst team in the league, like Memphis or Phoenix. No one wants to start small. Everyone wants to be drafted on the best team in the biggest market. It's in our nature to want to start big and significant and hope to stay big and significant. Jesus wanted his followers to understand that this was not how his kingdom was to begin. Jesus knew that the kingdom he was bringing to earth was not going to satisfy most Israelites' wishes. For they first, they had misguided expectations. See, when Jesus likened the kingdom of heaven to a big tree-like mustard bush where birds make nests, his listeners would have rolled their eyes. They would have thought, I know that, but that's not quite the story I was raised on. Why is that? Well, the prophet Ezekiel once used the image of a tree with birds nesting in it, but it was no puny mustard plant. It was a noble cedar tree. God promised his exile nation that he would one day replant them like a giant noble cedar tree high on the mountaintop for all to see. And upon this noble majestic tree, birds of every kind would come to dwell. Birds of every kind represent all the nations that would come under God's blessing in the God's renewed kingdom. Now, when Jesus tells the parable, the tree people that have in mind is a towering noble cedar tree, not a tiny, puny mustard bush. They were expecting God to act in big and audacious ways. God's promised Messiah King, in their eyes, would triumph in grandiose fashion, and all the world would know in an instant that there is a God in heaven who brings justice and righteousness and flourishing to the entire world. All the world would then look at the nation of Israel in envy, and the Israelites would gloat with pride. But that's not God's way. Consider God's way. God's Way, God's plan to bring justice and righteousness and flourishing and forgiveness and eternal hope to this broken world was a baby born in a tiny backwater town of Bethlehem to a third-rate, overthrown, tiny nation of failures. God sent his son, the savior of the world, as a tiny infant baby born in obscurity. Only a handful of people knew his significance at his birth. By the time he was a grown man, tens of thousands knew him. Thousands at first followed him, but then the crowds came to the conclusion that this miracle worker was really not what they were looking for. That his kingdom, this kingdom that Jesus kept talking about, was, was not going to be a big military overthrow of the Roman Empire that they had longed for. And so in the end, the, in the, end, the crowd cried out, crucify. So Jesus told these parables to correct the crowd's misguided expectations. He also told them these parables to address their hardness of heart. You know, I think the primary reason the kingdom of heaven started small is that the hearts of mankind are hard to the gospel. Jesus began his earthly ministry with these words. You can read them in Mark's gospel. Jesus said, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Now, the gospel literally means good news. The gospel has two, I guess, essential parts that mankind rejects. First is our rebellious, sinful nature before our creator. We are sinners. 
And the second is God's lavish mercy and grace and forgiveness to all who turn to Christ in faith. But here's the problem. The human heart does not desire either of these. In Jesus' day, people acknowledged that there was such a thing as sin. But most believed that they weren't the ones who sinned. It was those other guys, those other people, those other nations. And they had no need of God's grace. How true today, right? People say, you know, I'm okay with God if he exists. It's the others who are mucking up the world. So most people in Jesus' day didn't see their spiritual state before God as people who are in need of mercy and grace. And so when Jesus went to the cross, as he said he would, as a sacrifice for the sins of the world, the people in Jesus' day thought, how sad. He seemed to be such a good teacher. I feel for his mother, for his family. They must be so distraught. Oh, well, so much for hoping in him. There must be some other Messiah that God has in mind. Jesus told his disciples, and we must know this today as well, that it's not because of a lack of reasoning that people didn't welcome Christ and his kingdom. It's a matter of the heart. It's not a matter of intellect. It's volitional. Well, hearts don't want someone else to serve, even if it is a good and loving God. Like Adam in the Garden of Eden, we all prefer to go our own way. And so Christ's call to come to him is a call to lay down your hopes of having a world that revolves around you. It's a call to die to self so that God can plant his seed of grace in you so that you will grow to become a beautiful tree for God's glory. But our hearts don't want to be a beautiful mustard tree in God's garden. Our hearts foolishly buy into the false notions that we can become giant, noble cedars all on our own apart from God. Now, over and against our misguided expectations and hardness of heart, Jesus wanted his listeners to understand this. God does not despise small beginnings. His son came into the world as a small beginning. His kingdom on earth was launched as a small beginning. And isn't it true, if you are a follower of Christ, you yourself are a small beginning? I like how Paul reminds the Corinthian church of how each member there really wasn't anything special. But God has done a glorious work in them. Sharon read earlier from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were noble birth. He played on the ball and leaves. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in this world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Why? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Paul is saying that the typical Christian isn't someone to write home about. But God purposely chooses the low, the weak, the small and despised people of the world to shower his grace upon so that our boasting is not in ourselves, but our boasting is in the Lord. Christian, you know that feeling, right? That feeling of being simultaneously humbled by our weaknesses and yet exhilarated and exalted by God's grace and continued love for you. You know that experience, right? 
God does not despise small beginnings. No, all who come to possess the limitless riches of God's grace begin small. It is God who begins a work in you, and it is God who will complete this work in you. That's his promise to you. So Jesus shows us what, what the what of the kingdom, that it's small and seemingly insignificant in its beginnings. And Jesus shows us the why of the kingdom, that, it, that it, it will start small because people don't want God's kingdom. And it starts small because that's what pleases God, humble, small beginnings where his grace is boasted upon. So we've seen the what and the why, now for the how. How are we to apply this teaching today? Well, I think here's what we need to come and recognize and embrace. It's something we talk about regularly here at Grace Church, and it's the truth that we live in the already, not yet, right? Some of you have heard that. We live in the already, not yet. The kingdom is already here, but it's not yet fully here. The mustard plant of the kingdom is growing, but it's not fully grown. The leaven of the kingdom has spread far and wide, but the dough is not completely leavened. This is the world that we live in. Ultimately, the promise that Jesus talks about in these parables will not fully arrive until the day Christ returns to usher in his kingdom, right? But a lot of growth has taken place. You see, countless millions of people, millions of them over the ages, have heard the gospel message and have followed Christ and entered into his kingdom. The plant is growing. And yes, Christians over the ages, have, they've leavened the dough of society in many wonderful ways. Consider this, in the first few centuries of the church, there were a number of horrible plagues um, in various cities around the Mediterranean. People fled to the countryside to avoid them. Tens of thousands of people died. But guess what? Many Christians stayed in the cities, and they ministered to the sick and dying people, many of whom family members had long left. And many Christians themselves, guess what? Contracted the plague and suffered and died. But their pagan neighbors who fled couldn't believe that people would do such a thing. Talk about leaven. Or consider the work of another leaven. It's been, it's been people of faith who have pioneered literacy throughout the world. It's Christians who have promoted literacy, and printed Bibles in every language pretty much known to mankind. Also, it's Christians who promoted higher education. The universities of, of Oxford and Cambridge and Harvard and Yale and Princeton, just to name a few, all began as what? Seminaries. <laughs> and then they offered education to others. Or consider, consider the fact that women's rights and the abolition, abolition of slavery owe their existence to the tireless work of many Christians. That's leaven. But despite all the leaven, people still view Christ and his kingdom with reticence. One of the reasons is what Christ talked about elsewhere. He said that light's coming into the world, but what? People prefer darkness. They flee from the light. Once again, the human heart is hard to the gospel. See, when you live as leaven in the world, people won't get it. They'll, get, they'll roll their eyes at you at a minimum, or they'll flee from it, or they'll oppose you, they'll oppose it. You know, this past week I received a, a bill from our pool guy for opening the pool and fixing a broken valve. The bill totaled 
$564.85, which included $44.85 in taxes. You're going, why is he telling me all these details? Well, on the invoice was a post-it note with special instructions saying, um, mail a check made out to, and he put his own personal name, for 520 In other words, don't pay the taxes. Make it up to me personally, not my business. And, you know, we'll both benefit, right? What was he asking me to do? Asking me to break the law. I would save on the taxes, and he wouldn't have to report the income to the IRS. You know, I wonder how ticked off he must have been when he got the envelope today, uh, this weekend, and in it was a check written out for the full amount, not to him personally, but to his business name. I'm sure, I'm sure the guy was thinking, what's wrong with this guy? My friends, to be leavened in a world that does not want to be leavened can be hard. But you know, also sometimes we Christians, we don't do ourselves much of a favor sometimes. To the watching world, we can be more concerned about keeping our Christian heritage alive in America than we are at seeing more and more people in our nation come to faith in Christ. We pick battles poorly. Add to all this one last reality. You know, sometimes people or groups do things supposedly in the name of Jesus that are contrary to Christ and the gospel, and we genuine Christians get a bad rep, right? Take, for instance, that so-called Christian church, Westboro Baptist. You know, the church that uh, protests at soldiers' funerals and they have signs that say, God hates fags. Well, more recently in Virginia at the Red Red Hen Restaurant, remember the owner refused to serve the press secretary, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. And a few days later, all these protesters came out of nowhere. Um, One group was a group of Ku Klux Klansmen who were rallying in support of the Confederate flag. I'm not sure how that got in there, but... Then another was some supposed Christians who traveled hundreds of miles from Michigan to protest. They wore shirts that said, Stop Sinning. And then one leader held up a sign that said, LGBT, let God burn them. What a horrible message. That is not a Christian message. That's not the message of Christ. But people all over the world see that and they lump you and me in with them. People conclude that, see those Christians, look how judgmental and hateful they are. But the story doesn't end there. You're not going to believe what actually happened. The leader of the KKK protesters, they, they went on record in order to distance themselves from those supposed Christians. Here's what the Washington Post reported. Wayne and Jennings, that's the first name. Wayne and Jennings, the Confederate flaggers, listen, quickly crossed the street to get away from the anti-gay sloganers. Wayne said, 
we don't want anything to do with that crazy religious bigot stuff. Think about it. When Klansmen call out others as bigots, well, you know something ain't right. But here's the deal. Those supposed Christians are just that, supposed Christians. Obviously, they don't know Christ or his message. And yet people do stupid like stuff like that, and we faithful Christians get lumped into it all. All this to say we live in the already not yet. That is what Jesus wants us to understand about his kingdom. It has come, but it's not yet fully come. And so for us today... Though the world in many ways thinks Christians to be, they think of us Christians as small and insignificant. Let us not lose heart. As Paul wrote to the church in Galatia, he wrote, Let us not grow weary in what? In doing good. For why? For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And as we seek to be leavened for Christ and his kingdom, let us be careful. Let us be careful in how we live our lives before a watching world. May we be known for our love. As the scriptures say, they will know we are Christians by our love. Yes, there is truth to be communicated to this dying world, but God's truth is to be spoken with love and in love. So we've investigated the what, the why, and the how. Now, as we turn to the Lord's Supper, let's prepare our hearts, okay? May we be reminded that one day everything Jesus said would come to pass, will actually come to pass. One day the leaven will leaven the entire mass of the dough. This present evil order in the world and and of society will be utterly displaced by God's kingdom. Ultimately, we must wait for Christ's return for the fullness of the leavening of the dough. On that day, and only on that day, will the victory be complete. Then the mercy and the grace that are hallmarks of this age will be swallowed up in God's glory. Then all who have been longing for the fullness of the kingdom will realize It is finally here. I know what a kingdom it is. I know what joy it is to belong to the kingdom. So may these short parables have their proper effect. May we reject all feelings of buyer's remorse with regards to Christ's kingdom. May we live with hope in the promises of God. May we live not for our own fading kingdoms, but may we live for Christ and his growing eternal kingdom. I mean, we continue to pray the prayer as Jesus taught us to pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Jesus, in you we have a loving, patient, faithful, shepherd, teacher, king. You know our hearts. You know our fickleness. You know how we quickly look to become cedars in our own kingdoms when you offer us something far greater. May we have eyes to see that. May we today be convicted uh, in, in, in desire to walk in your kingdom in ways that glorify you. May we place our hope 
in your kingdom. May we see ourselves as leaven of great use and purpose for you, we pray. Amen.